Thank you, thank you, worship. Oh, I wish I could sometimes just have a traveling worship band wherever we go. Because, you know, before we serve, before we work, before we do anything, I, I just really believe worship first, worship first. All right, we are ready. <clears throat> We're ready to dive in this morning. Um, now, I'm not sure how many of you are morning people, but it is, it is after 10 o'clock, so there's no excuses, all right? I, I get really excited in the morning all the time, so that's for you just to wake up, for some of you. Um, we talked about yesterday um, being a witness. I, I want to hear from some of you, what, what's sticking out from yesterday? What, what's kind of rising to the top from yesterday? Be dependent. What else? I have a choice. That's good news and bad news. Yeah. What else? Share with everybody. Love the four questions. Good. Always witnessing. Commit to the mission. Man, I, we can just go home. This is great. We are worshipers, absolutely. So uh, one of the things I talked about yesterday to kind of summarize being a witness is see it, share it. If you see it, share it. And we are witnessing all the time and all sorts of different things. And another thing that I'd like to hold on to a little bit more today is another huge part, especially for those of us who are parents or grandparents, um, whether or not you lead in an organization somewhere, we're all made to be leaders in our families. And even if you're um, a young adult and you're still in the household of parents, um, there's still a call for us to lead the next generation. And so I'd like us to uh, just hold this in our minds for a lot of today, and we'll get to it a little bit later too. Um, in, order to, in order to lead it, you have to live it. In order to lead it, you have to live it. And we've all had examples in our lives of people that have said, hey, don't do what I do, just do what I say. <laughs> it doesn't work, ever. It never works, right? More is caught than taught. We, we hear this many different ways. But in order to lead it, we have to live it. And there are different reasons why we sometimes hesitate to live a certain way. Okay, and we're gonna, gonna get to some of that today. Uh, hopefully you have your bracelets, you don't necessarily have to have them on, but um, I would love to hear, did anyone try this last night and you're gonna tell me something of what happened? It didn't have to be great. Just tell me what happened if you tried the bracelet questions last night, what, what happened? Anybody? Yeah. Your emotions got high. Not in a good way. Oh boy. Good, I'm glad this is going well. It's good. Yeah, Joe. Oh, love that. Love that. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And did they ask you questions back? So you didn't share. Okay. All right. No, it's good. It's, yeah. Oh, worst part was taking a picture at dinner. Wow. That's intense. That's a, that's a rough day, you know? 
Uh, it's like the worst part of the day is only having three scoops of ice cream instead of four. Yeah, okay, good. All right, keep working on that. Um, again, it becomes something. You do it a few times, and all of a sudden, at least in our family, it's, it's a conversation uh, on the way to school sometimes, or on the way home from school, or on the way to practice, or at bedtime. Like, sometimes as parents, or step-parents, or grandparents, whatever our family looks like, it can be like, okay, I want to do something intentional right now, but I don't know what to do. Oh, but I want to I lead it. I want to live it. I want to do that. Oh, bracelet. Kids, let's do the bracelet. It's a great, a great filler of space that's intentional. Um, okay, so witnessing. We talked about not just being a verb, but a noun. You know, I realized last night uh, with social media, you know, one of the reasons why I think social media is so successful? Because it enables us to be who we were created to be, witnesses. It's just witnessing. It's just us being witnesses to whatever, whether it is like an, a delicate, delicate, I should say, uh, plate of sushi with great little decoration on it, and we want to take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. Or whether it's a family photo, or whether it's us at family camp. Hey, whatever it is. It's just us being witnesses. I think that's one of the main reasons why it's so successful. The early church thrived on being witnesses. They grew tremendously, and they didn't have Instagram or Snapchat to say, oh, my daughter was just miraculously healed. Take a look, everyone. Didn't happen like that. They actually had to talk to each other and share with each other, and it spread like wildfire as they, as the Holy Spirit empowered them to be witnesses. One of the other things we talked about yesterday is that um, it's not just about a decision. It's about dependency. It's about a life of discipleship. And uh, one of my friends, Josh King, uh, who's with uh, our church, Greenwich Community Church, he told me something last night, and I said, oh, I gotta say that tomorrow morning. And so you remember my glasses thing, right? The glasses thing. Kathy, can I borrow your glasses? Thanks. Okay. So, <laughs> you're laughing, should I not put these on? <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. So Josh, Josh Mendes, he said, you know, another, another thing about those glasses, you know, when the, when the glasses are apart from you, there's a distance problem, but you also lose the means by which you see things, which is a dependency problem, which is just as important, if not more important. And Josh said, you know what? You know, you can even, you can find your glasses. And so there's no longer a distance problem. We made a decision for Christ. You can find your glasses and never put them on. Or every morning you get them, you reach over, wherever they are, you get them, and then you go through the day without ever putting them on. Can you imagine that, that day? And yet I wonder, again, I want us to be challenged this week to continue to learn how to put the glasses on. And for some of us, putting the glasses on means, Ted, I've heard some of this stuff before, but you know what? I haven't really shared it with anybody. I just, I just consume. I just consume. And maybe I share it with people really close to me. But I, I don't know. I've never, I've never really figured out how to, how to share my walk. Not just my decision, but my day-in and day-out walk with people. Just people. I don't know how to do that. I've never written two trees on a napkin and said, hey, we have a choice and at a restaurant and when I'm meeting with some buddy of mine or something. And so continue to dive in 
on how God wants to challenge us uh, this week. In order to fully experience God, it's critical that we understand something that's most important to God. You know, if you're going to talk about somebody, then it's really important to know what's, what's most important to them. Okay, If you know what's most important to them, then you can talk about that person a lot better. And one of the things that is absolutely most important to God is that we know not just what he's done, but who he is. Who he is. That that identity of who he is is so critical for us in order to be, for us to be a witness. And so let me explain a little bit today about uh, the power of identity, and then we're going to get into Acts 16 and really unpack this um, as we see it in Paul's life. You know what? I think I can leave that up here. This is a massive whiteboard. Okay, so the power of identity. I'm going to draw a few things. This is a lopsided onion or an egg. So we have times in our lives where we want stuff to change. Oh, I just want to get, I just want change in my life. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. And usually the first thing we try to change in our lives when it's something that we don't like is something in our environment. Okay? It's like, oh man, if I just got new shoes, if I just got a new car, if I just got a new house. Unfortunately, sometimes for some people, if I just got a new marriage. If I just got if if I just changed my environment, then I'll feel better. Things will be all fixed. It'll be great. And it may feel better for a little bit, but you, you hit the ceiling and there's not lasting change. You don't, you don't feel fulfilled. And so we move to the next layer, which is behavior. And each layer above has dominion over the layer underneath. And so we change our behavior. Maybe if I treat my children differently and not yell at them as much, uh, then uh, maybe we'll have a more peaceful household. Yeah, you know what? That's, that's probably going to help. It's going to help your environment. Hey, if my workplace is a little bit different, if, if I treat people differently or talk differently, or if my boss did, oh, man, that would really help. And sure enough, it does help. But you still hit this, you hit this ceiling. You can't get past it. It's not ultimately fulfilling. And so we go to the next layer, which is Capabilities. Capabilities, okay? So I'm calling the, the levels of change here. So we go to capabilities, and we feel like, man, if I just knew more, I mean, if I just went back to school, if I just got new training, if I just knew as much as that person, then you know what? I would be able to be a better parent, and my kids, my environment would be better. And I'm not saying, hey, if God's calling you back to school, if God's calling you to a workshop, great, go do it. I'm not saying that's bad, but it's not going to be the fulfillment that sometimes we think it is. Because even with increased capabilities, we're going to still hit a ceiling. It's not going to be all that we hoped it would be. And that's because there are two more layers to this that have dominion over these things. But I want to talk about these three things a little bit. Okay, these three layers, right here. I call these the physical layers because 
In the physical layers, it's everything we can see or feel or touch or all that stuff. And we can manipulate it, right? And these three physical layers, we get really tricked into thinking that full life comes from these three layers. If I can see it, if I can feel it, if I can touch it. But let me, let me explain something. Because we can change this all we want, okay? We can change all we want, but change does not equal progress. Don't confuse change with progress. Those are not the same thing. You see, there's a time in my wife and I's life that we're out of now, but we were in it for over a decade where we were changing all the time. Changing, 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 more changing, more changing, changing all the time. Dirty, clean. Dirty, clean. Dirt, dirty, clean. Right? Changing all the time. Was there progress? Nope. No progress. And these three physical layers represent that this, this time in our life where you know people, I know people that try to change all these things. And you know what? A year later, two years later, they're, they're broken. They're like, oh, I gotta change again. That wasn't the right one. It wasn't the right decision. I got, it wasn't the right choice. I, I just must have made the wrong choice. And so I got to change. Change does not equal progress. But there comes a moment in our lives where one change changes everything. Potty training changes everything. Okay? So, potty training happens, and one change changes everything. And yes, our decision for Christ is one change that changes everything, but then how do we continue to live our lives amidst that change? You see, if we know that one change can change everything, then we shouldn't go back to this. Once our kids have been potty trained, we don't go, hey, you know, we should really... Three years later, let's try diapers again. Let's do that. No. Live out of the change. That changes everything. And we get to a couple more layers here. Beliefs. And then the actual king of all change is identity. Identity always has power. This is why the more you know who someone is, the more you can share with other people about that person. And, oh, there are so many reasons why this is that. This, this is parent, this is all kinds, I'm gonna give some examples. But don't you know, people can change this, they can change jobs, they can make more money, they can get more cars, they can do all kinds of stuff here, but if they still believe they're not valuable, they still believe they're not good enough. There's a lie in there. Then what's eventually gonna happen in their job? It's not gonna work. What's eventually gonna happen? And all these changes have no power against this or against this. 
um, I was helping out with youth group this was a few years ago, and there was a kid, uh, a young man, sorry, 17 years old, um, going on 35, and he was at our small group table, and he was acting up. I mean, he was being a little rowdy, and I said, hey, what's going on, man? What, I mean, what's, what's happening? He said, nothing. Right. Okay. So we'll just continue on then. Keep chatting. He keeps acting up. And I said, what's going on? Nothing. I said, all right, let's go out in the hall. So we went out in the hall. We walk over here into the hall. And, uh, and, we're, and we're chatting a little bit. I said, hey, why don't you, you said nothing's going on. You and I both know that's a complete lie. Okay, so either um, you can tell me about it or we can pray about it. He said, oh, no, don't pray, don't pray. That wasn't a threat, but I guess he took it. Don't pray. I'm like, okay, what do you want to tell me? And this points to the power of identity in our lives. Okay, this is what he said. Listen to what he said. He said, Ted, my mom always said I was the wild one. My sister's the smart one. And I'm the wild one. And she'd laugh about it. Oh, he's just the wild one. That's who he is. That has been seeded early in his life. Beliefs around what wild means. And so what's he capable of? Wild things. Maybe only capable of wild things. That's who he is. And so that's what his behavior is going to be like. It's going to be wild. And so what kind of environment is he going to surround himself with? Wild. Why? Because that's where he belongs. That's where he fits. And if the, if the environment around him is not wild, a.k.a. a small group of church, he's going to make it wild. Why? It's who he is. It's who he is. And see, who we believe we are makes all the difference in the world. And there are different opinions out there about you and about me. And what that book says is very different than what you'll hear everywhere else. But identity is so strong, it's actually, uh, I believe, the, the frequency of our hearts. And so just like a radio station, like old school radio, right, with a tuner, they can actually be off a station. You know, like you're on the station and then you're back on the station, okay? Things in our life that are false identity, false beliefs, they pull us off the station of God. And it's hard to hear Him. It's hard to feel Him. It's hard to receive from Him every day. We get, we get pulled off. And all of a sudden, because identity is king, things that happen in these realms, things that happen in these layers, they start getting translated as identity, either true or false identity, because that's the frequency that our heart responds to. And so you have like my, uh, a neighbor kid in our neighborhood that came over and we're playing soccer and he misses, a, he misses, it's front yard soccer. This is not the World Cup. He misses a shot on goal, just, just wide. And, uh, and so that's, you know, like maybe, maybe behavior level, maybe, maybe capability level. But what comes out of his mouth? I'm such a loser. I am a loser, false identity. Because identity is king. And ultimately the things that happen in our life will roll up to a particular identity, a particular belief system. 
And here's, again, good news and bad news. We're not really in control of these two. We're in control of this. We're not really in control of these two. Um, these, are, these are spiritual levels here. And so we, we can depend on God, tree of life, let him fill this, or we can just take from our own knowledge and just let things kind of build up on their own. Take from other people what they think. But this, this is king. And I, just a brief little example. Um, <clears throat> who you think God is will ultimately be part of your witness. Who you think he is. And so if, if we think that God is some sort of like, oh, angry, you know, he's like some sort of nasty Santa Claus, like I'm watching you, and I'm gonna, like some, he's got a, he's got a, a lighting board and a, a soundboard of pain that he's gonna push buttons and judge. If that's who God is, that's who he is, then there's gonna be certain beliefs that go along with that. And what is he capable of? He is capable of catching me and wrecking me all the time. And that's what his behavior is like. It's vindictive, it's angry. And so what environment do you believe? You, you believe, we believe we're on eggshells then walking around. I don't want to upset God. I don't want to upset God. And it all starts with who? But if we believe that God is a good father, he's a good father, then it comes with a whole different batch of beliefs, right? Nasty uh, Santa Claus God over here is like, I'm watching you. Good Father God over here is like one of the things, one of the phrases that my kids love to say, uh, especially the younger ones now, all the time. They say this all the time. You know, what they, you know what they say to me all the time? Watch me, Daddy. Watch me. I'm about to do something that's crazy. They don't say that part, but I know that that's what's gonna happen. Same phrase, I'm watching you, watch me. Because they know who I am. I'm not perfect, but I'm a good dad. I'm gonna love them. I believe the best in them. I'm gonna help them in their capabilities. And so one of the first places we all have to start is who, who do we really believe God is? Like, before we hit the pillow at night, this isn't just doctrine. Doctrine's important, I'm not talking about doctrine. Who do we believe God is when we hit the pillow? Like, does he really hear me? Like, do I really think he knows what's going on? Does he really want what's best for me? Because right now it doesn't feel like it. Those beliefs. Those are going to inevitably be a part of your witness. And there are lies and there is truth about these. God holds identity so highly that um, many of you know the story of Moses and here he is with a burning bush, right? And out of this mission he's about to go on, he's like, God, Pharaoh's gonna be asking some questions like who sent me? And I don't know what to tell them. And so you can, you can just imagine God's going, okay, I've created the universe like, by just like speaking things. Out of all the names 
out of all the words that he could create even in that moment to sum up his name, to sum up the power and the majesty of his name, what does he choose? I am identity. He is the source of identity and he holds identity. He has, he has built the universe to have identity as the top dog, as the highest impact, the highest influence. If we listen with different ears, we hear false identity all over the place. Things like this, well, I'm, I'm just a worrier. I, I'm sorry, that, that's just who I am. I just worry, I, I am just a worrier. Well, I am just cutthroat competitive. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help it. I know I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. I am, I'm, I am. You are. You want to get, no, you don't want this. But things start going in, in marriage or conflict. It usually starts with a you are or an I am. It usually starts with identity somewhere. You feel some sort of cut to your identity that they don't really know who you are. Identity is the power source. It is the top. It is what impacts and influences every area of our life. Who we believe God is first and then who we believe we are. If we believe, uh, sorry, I'm gonna get to marriage stuff tonight, but I'm already, it's already on my brain. If we believe something like, well, my husband's just lazy. You, you have that belief? It doesn't matter what he is doing or what she is doing if you believe your wife's lazy. They could be working their tail off. It doesn't matter because you have this belief of who they are and you don't even see it. We don't even see it. We don't see these things when we have these things. That's false. And so I wanna open up to Acts 16. Let's, let's look at Paul, and uh, he's a great example of, of quite a few things, but we're gonna, we're gonna read through Paul 16. Ch uh, chapter 16, verse 16. Now, again, context is always important when we're reading Scripture, right? What's happening before, what's happening after. This, uh, Paul and Barnabas just had a breakup. It wasn't pretty, right? Um, but they are going their separate ways, and Paul is finding himself um, with Silas, and they're in a different place. And here we are in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I love that, Paul is upset. Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that, her, that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Now you have to understand some things about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a hinge point between a Jewish frame of reference, which is the, the whole Bible up to, up to this point, and the Roman frame of reference, which is the 
the frame of reference for the rest of the, of the Bible. Okay? The, everything is Jewish-based, tabernacle or uh, temple, Jerusalem. At this point, the book of Acts, it hinges towards, it's about Rome, it's about Roman law, it's about Roman culture. It's a, it's a complete hinge of frame of reference when you're reading scripture. Okay? So, they are disturbing the city. One of the biggest offenses you could have in Roman culture is disturbing the population. You don't, you hear about riots. Don't riot. Oh, you're going to die if you riot. You didn't hear about riots before the book of Acts. This is a hinge point in frame of reference, okay? So anyway, disturbing the city. It's a, it's a massive charge. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received that order, he put them in the inner prison, which I don't know what that means, but it can't be good. Don't just go to prison. Go to the inner prison. And fastened their feet in the stocks. It's not been a good day for Paul. And we could look at it and go, what did he do wrong? I mean, he's annoyed because he's trying, to, he's trying to kind of quietly go into the city, make disciples, share with people kind of on the down low at the local Starbucks. I mean, he's just, he's just, just have a conversation. And here comes the slave girl. These guys are proclaiming salvation. And, and it's just, it's not according to the plan. Cast the demon out. And all of a sudden, he finds up, he finds himself in prison. You know, when things don't go our way, what do we do? Verse 25, about midnight. What, what do these midnight moments look like for us in our life? It may not be physical prison, it might be. I would like to say that midnight moments for many of us is when something deep down is crying out that's disturbing us about who we are. It might have come from a coach, a teacher, a well-intentioned parent, a brother. You're not good enough. You'll never be. I wish you were more like. But when there's a clash between those lies that have been spoken over us and this, this truth that we want to believe about who we are and who's God made us to be, when there's a clash between those and the false, the lies went out, I think that always ends up in some sort of midnight moment where it's just, it's not good. Maybe we make a wrong decision. Maybe we find ourselves in prison. Maybe we just find ourselves shredded and it feels dark and heavy and we don't know how to carry on or how to keep parenting, or how to keep in this marriage. But there is something inside that is battling in our very souls about who we are. And at midnight, when you're at the low, what is, what is in there to hold you together will come out. And here we have Paul and Silas in prison and they're in a midnight moment. Whatever is in you, when everything is stripped away, when everything is stripped away, whatever is in you will come out of you. 
right? Luke 6.45 says like this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another way of saying it in Matthew 7.18, right? A bad tree cannot produce good fruit, good tree cannot produce bad fruit. What's in there? It's gonna come out when everything else is stripped away. So uh, we have quite a bit of our, our small group here with us this week. And one of the things we did, oh, a couple months ago, is we went to, a, we went to a, an escape room. So I don't know if you've ever been to an escape room. It's, it's actually fascinating. You pay money to get locked up. I know. Hey, lock, we're going to give you money. You lock us in this room. And we're going to try to figure out the puzzles, the clues, for an hour just to get out of the room to go back in our cars. And we'll pay you money. It's fascinating. I don't know who thought that up, but it's, they're probably a little twisted, but they're, they're doing all right because we loved it. We're like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. You know what's interesting, though, is when you combine a, a, a locked experience with a little bit of pressure, a little bit of pressure, maybe not at the beginning of the hour, but as that time is, clock is winding down and you know you're not making progress the way that you should be making progress. Personalities start to come out. It's a, fa- it's a, it's a tremendous experience. You should, you should totally do it. Um, just pray before it. And, and whatever's in there, you're going to see who the competitive people are. They may be all nice and all that. Uh, but then once that time, they're like, okay, guys, come on. Come on. Let's go. Now, we didn't have anybody like that. We were all gentle and loving as brothers and sisters in Christ. But what's in there is going to come out. It's going to come out. Let's see, what, uh, let's see what Paul and Silas had in there. About midnight, it says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They didn't have hymnals. It had to have been in there. They had to have put truth in them at such a deep level that when everything else was stripped away, that's still the only thing that was coming out. Hymns, singing, prayers. Now, I don't necessarily mean hymns, hymns. I'm talking about praise, song, worship, okay? Obviously, the hymns were not written then. Whatever's in there will come out when everything else is stripped away. And I would say, Whoever we are will come out when everything is stripped away. When we're in a crisis of some sort, Paul's in a crisis moment in his life. Who we are in Christ is the lens, going back to the glasses, who we are in Christ is the lens through which God wants us to view every situation in life. Let's see what happens next. Suddenly, there is such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. It's, it's bad when you wake up and, and you wake up into a nightmare. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped, which means he was gonna get killed anyway. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Now, going back to these five layers, 
all of a sudden, doors flew open. Now, what had happened just a few chapters earlier in chapter, in chapter 9 of Acts is a similar situation with Peter. Peter's in prison. Door, he, doors flew open, and what did he do? He took off. Went to a house, had a little bit of time, a hard time getting in, getting in the house. He had to knock, and, hey, it's me. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's me. But whatever. He got out, got safety, okay? Paul probably knew that story because he was, he, he probably knew News traveled fairly fast about that sort of stuff. And so here he is, similar situation. Doors fly open. Chains fall off. The environment has completely changed. He has new options of his behavior. He has new capabilities of what he could be doing. This is, listen, this is clearly a God-ordained moment. And we've all at some point said, well, God clearly opened this door, so I must walk through. It's God's doing. God opened this door. I'm going. God clearly opened these doors and took off the chains and the inner prison, whatever the inner prison was. He could go. But Paul understood the power of identity. See, Paul knew, as he wrote about it later, Galatians 2.8. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as apostle to the Gentiles. You would ask Paul, who are you, Paul? I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. That is my purpose. That is who I am, and from who I am, there are beliefs about what I'm going to be capable of, how my behavior should be, and what my environment should be like. And you know what? I see one in particular desperate Gentile in front of me who's got a sword drawn and a whole bunch of other Gentiles listening to our prayers. Why am I going anywhere? I'm in my sweet spot, baby. They're all listening. And see, I wonder, I, I don't know, this is my opinion. I wonder if some of the doors flying open, I wonder if that was a little bit of a test. Just a little bit of a test. Paul, are you going to run because you can? Or are you going to stay because you should? Man. I think the same message is for us. In restaurants, when that server is clearly having a difficult time, am I just going to pay and leave because I can? Or am I gonna ask, hey, how can I pray for you? Maybe because I should. And I, I check with God before you do that, but I think there are witness, practice moments all the time, and it has nothing to do with whether you can or can't. It has to do with who we are. We are disciples who are to make disciples. We are witnesses who are supposed to see it and share it. Lead it by living it. I don't think there's any of us in here who don't want our children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews to, to have a more intentional life than us, to be more devoted to God than us, to be more than even us. But I'm telling you, as in my own life, I want to become more of who God has created me to be, not, not just in my personality profile, but in the disciple-making machine, in the witness machine that God has made me to be. And here we have Paul, 
who got it. I am apostle of the Gentiles. I'm not going anywhere. It's who I am. It was never, listen, for Paul, it was never about getting out. It was always about how to get God in. He wasn't confused on his mission. It was never about getting out. Getting out of this job, getting on vacation, getting on, it may be about getting to Gold Lake. But outside of that, how much of our life is about, oh, I just want to get away. I just want to escape. I just want to escape. And it was never about escape for Paul. It was always about how do I get God in? Even when the doors flew open, the shackles fell off. It's about how to get God in. That's who he was made to be. It's who we're all made to be. Knowing who we are allows us to fulfill our purpose of being a witness, which again, going back to Isaiah, it's been our purpose from the beginning. There is no other God. And look at what happens in verse 29 when he does this. When he lives out of who he is, when he lives out of the power of identity, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. That's the first altar call right there. Uh, he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your entire household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Sometimes I forget that they even had wounds. Oh, yeah, they'd already been beaten up. Remember that part? They had been beaten. They're still singing. Then immediately he and his whole household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When we live from the power of identity, our witness is empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we live out of the power of identity, our witness is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you see people and their households come to Christ. And again, it's not just this belief. It, there was a joy that came. There was a joy that came with this, uh, this change in his household. So Ephesians 2.10. Everyone go to Ephesians 2.10. This, uh, this is a marking, Gold Lake 17 um, for sure, many of you already know this verse, Ephesians 2.10. I think it's critical for us to hold on to. It's a great one to teach your kids about this identity piece. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, uh, let's not just rush over this. We are God's masterpiece. We've done nothing yet in this verse. We've done nothing. Created us anew in Christ Jesus. Again, we still have done nothing. God's made us masterpiece. He's created us anew. Nothing. We've, we've, done no, we've done nothing at this point. So we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Oh, 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 we do have a role at the end. And see, the world will be the exact opposite. God says you are. 
are a masterpiece. You, you actually don't have the right to be anything else. It's who you are. You don't have the power to change that. Actually, you don't. And if we have believed in him, then he's created us anew in Christ Jesus. And again, you, you can't refute that if you believe that. Oh, so that we can, we're now capable of doing some things that he's planned for us. Oh, this is, the, this is how this works, God. Got it. But you know what the world says? Boy, if you do, if you do enough good stuff, then maybe, maybe if you do enough good stuff, you're going to feel kind of new. If you do enough good stuff, you'll, you'll feel a little bit fresh. You'll feel a little bit new, you know. And then if you feel new for a long period of time and people start, you know, really looking to you and all that, then maybe, maybe by the end of your life, you're going to feel like, man, I'm a masterpiece. I made it. I made it. The exact opposite. The exact opposite. And I personally think the enemy is, is completely fine with us just hanging out in these three layers, thinking that they have power. Again, going back to the, to the Garden of Eden, the, the very first trick that the enemy played was to limit who God is and, and all of that into these three physical layers, things you can see, t- uh, touch, smell. That, that fruit looked looked delicious, taste, look and taste. And it would make her so wise. She'd be like God. What? Capabilities off the charts. He's always trying to pull us into just the three layers because as long as he can keep us there, he doesn't matter how much change. He doesn't matter how much we do. As long as we're just distracted from the lies we might believe. As long as we don't really go through the work of unpacking, boy, what do I believe about who I am or who he is? Then, then we're, we're pretty safe to him, pretty safe. We'll just we'll make little impact here and there, but we won't do tremendous damage because we'll never be on the station. We'll never be attuned to the frequency of our heart, and we won't be able to train our kids to be tuned to the frequency of our heart. And so we'll make little Little waves here and there, but nothing major. So in the last five minutes, um, I want us to enter into a bit of a, a, bit of a prayer space. Um, I believe prayer is a conversation with God. It doesn't have to be, you know, eyes closed, you know, hands together, all that stuff. But it can be, absolutely, it's great. Um, but I want us to enter into a little bit of a, of a of a conversation with God about some of this in our life. Because I've even found um, God uncovers a lie in my life, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's okay. I'm good now. And then the next day, oh, I got more. <sighs> Shoot. But the more, the more he pulls out, um, the, the, the freer we get. And he doesn't just pull stuff out. Okay? He doesn't just pull stuff out. He, he plants seeds of truth. Okay? And so we're going to let him do both of those things. Um, okay. 
Let's, let's pray. And uh, if you have a pen or you have your phone out, if you feel like God's putting something in your heart, if the Holy Spirit's kind of moving, putting something in your heart, it's okay. You can open your eyes and write it down. It's really helpful. You can, you can text yourselves or put a note in your phone, whatever it is, okay? Um, but we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to move a little bit in this, okay? Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you give us examples, not only of Jesus, but of Paul and others in Scripture that show us living in the power of identity. And that's not just some you know, psychological, scientific discovery. It's been from the beginning. It's who we are. We're witnesses. And it's who you claimed to be, Lord. I am. And God, we want to live fully in the power of who you are. And thus, because of who you are and what you've done, who we are in you. Thank you for making us masterpieces. Now, uh, Father, I pray, even now, will you just move our hearts, move our spirits, please? Is there a lie that we are believing about who you've made us to be? Is there a lie that you just want to bring to the surface? God, is there a lie that has been spoken over us, maybe by someone who really loves us, really loves us, a parent, a coach, a teacher, a sibling, that, you know what, as well-intentioned as, well intentioned as they were, Lord, it was just a lie about who we are. Will you just bring that to our, to our mind, please? And Father, just uh, in our imagination as we're letting you move. It's like these lies are just like on strips of paper and we're just holding our hands out in front of us and you just, you're just letting them fall into our hand, these lies. God, is there a lie that as we've looked in the mirror, we've said about ourself? That we've spoken false identity over ourself? Father, is there a lie that we've believed about our spouse? Not just their behavior or their capability, but deep down, God, we believe this about who they are. Anything. We don't want to be caged in by any of that, Lord. Father, is there anything we've believed a lie about who our children, or, or one particular child, or any of our children, or grandchildren, who they are? Finally, Father, is there anything that we've believed truly about who you are that's a lie? God, we want to be witnesses, fully alive, fully free. And one of the things we are witnesses of, Lord, is the sacrifice of your Son. For us, that you were the first one to give. So, Lord, as we have these lies in our hand, in our head, that you've brought to mind, we just bring them to the foot of the cross. And we just let 
just a single drop of, of blood from Jesus just fall on those lives. And just show us, Lord, the power. The power of the way the truth, the life, does. And Father, because we want to be fully alive, fully free, fully on mission, making impact. We don't want just little, little ripples. We want tsunamis against the kingdom of darkness. Lord, give us, just remind us of a truth right now, of who you've determined us to be, who you have made us to be, who we are to you. Lord, we receive that. Help us to continue to believe that, please. The rest of today, the rest of this week, seal that truth upon our hearts, please. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We thank you that you're clear in Scripture. We thank you that you, you've not hidden these levels of change or any of this, you haven't hidden that from us. You're helping us. You're helping us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, and so I think East West is coming up here in a second. Um, I do want to remind you, not remind you, tell you for the first time, you're going to need a pen tonight. Okay, so if you come to the evening session, um, bring a pen tonight. You, you will want that. Unless Gatorade's going to give everyone pens, but I thought, bring your own pens, be great. I'll have that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so we're going to take a 10-minute break. You guys can.